When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One Cardinal hit a home run against Sonny Gray in live BP on Thursday. Who hit it, and what does it say about our expectations for that player this season? Coming up on B-Shave Daily. What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shave Daily. Brendan Schaefer, it is Friday February 23rd, 2024, early in the morning here in Jupiter, Florida. Didn't get around to it last night, so I wanted to circle back this morning, get a podcast up for you guys. Talking about the live BP we saw from Sonny Gray on Thursday. Now, don't get this wrong. Sonny Gray looked really good. Struck out Jordan Walker multiple times. Struck out Matt Carpenter a couple times. Struck out Yvonne Herrera a couple times. One looking, one swinging to end the multi-inning Outing, if you will, I say inning loosely because I don't know what other term to use, but basically I think he had a pitch count that he was going to face as many batters as it took to be around that number, and then he was going to sit down for a bit like you would during a game, take your break, come back out, throw some more. It wasn't that he was recording three specific outs each time, but I'll call it inning because, like I said, that's the word that that we kind of know what that means. So Sonny Gray had some really good things that happened during this session. The sweeper looked disgusting. Uh, Jordan Walker fell victim to it. I I had one of those videos posted on my Twitter page at bshafer12. I put up a lot of really basically the entire live BP from Sonny Gray on YouTube. If you want to check that out. And I believe the way I labeled that video on YouTube was which Cardinals hit or homered off Sonny Gray. And then I said, did the STL ace bounce back? Yes, he did. So I wanted to get that out of the way first because I feel like people, when they hear about stuff that happens on the backfields and live BP and you're rooting, you're a Cardinal fan, right? So you're rooting for the pitcher to do well, but you also like to see the hitters doing well. And so it turns your stomach into knots when basically anything happens because if the pitcher gets beat, you go, oh my gosh, this guy stinks. Why did we sign this ace? You know, what, what, what kind of ace is that? But then if the pitcher is mowing guys down, you're thinking, oh, boy, Jordan Jordan Walker's toast. You know, of course, oh, Matt Carpenter, you know, he can't do anything. It's impossible to win, basically. But I think this was an example of a live BP where Cardinals fans kind of win because you got to see a little bit of both. You got to see Sonny Gray dominate pretty much. Again, I think I I counted six strikeouts. I missed one at bat on video of Brendan Donovan, and I, I cannot recall if that ended in a strikeout or not. Um, he did, if not, it was like a feeble ground out that didn't, uh, inspire much fanfare. So like Sonny Gray looked really good, but the first at bat of the outing of Herrera, let it off with a home run and an opposite field home run to right center, just barely past the center field line toward the, the right field side. And I watched that ball drop in into the grass beyond the outfield fence and keep rolling a legit home run. Now, I have talked about Jupiter being the windiest place on Earth. Well, that's actually Port St. Lucie, but Jupiter, pretty windy 
if you've been listening to my videos uh, on on YouTube or or watching them rather and hearing the background noise, yeah, it's windy. No, I can't do anything about it. We only have today, basically Friday, on the backfields, and then it's mostly going to shift uh, to covering game action for the most part. Now there will still be some things going on on the backfields that I could uh, decide to go back and watch and cover, but. By the same token, I think a lot of what's going to be of interest will be the things that happen in games as the Cardinals try and, you know, figure out this roster and what needs to happen at certain positions. So I'll be watching for, you know, who gets opportunities at shortstop outside of Mason Wynn. How do those guys look? How quickly does Tommy Edmond get mixed into game action? We don't really have an exact timeline on that yet, but he's not facing live pitching. He's throwing, but not what I would classify as full full strength throwing, either from the outfield position or from the, the shortstop position. So there are some questions that need to be answered, a lot to be answered on the pitching front, and maybe some of the younger players that we want to see how they perform in game action. Maybe Victor Scott gets some opportunities, etc. So games are really what we're going to be looking forward to seeing, although Stephen Matz on the backfield Sunday will, will finally pitch live BP for the first time. He's been on a little bit of a delayed schedule. It was brought up to Ollie Marmo that he's kind of a few days behind some of the other pitchers. And Ollie said he didn't like that classification. Um, but I mean, the reality is others have thrown live BP. Sonny Gray has thrown multiple and we haven't seen Matt's throw one yet. He's scheduled to throw one inning on Sunday, not an up, up, down, and then back up like Sonny Gray did yesterday, but just one. But we've seen now everybody else to my recollection, Michaelis has done it. Lance Lynn has done it. So it really, Stephen Matt's Sunday might be something to to take a peek at on the backfields. But otherwise, it's it's stuff that's going to happen in game action. So long story short, I can never make a short story short. The videos from the backfields probably will, will wind down, but we'll still have plenty uh, in the way of podcasts and things like that on the channel. So make sure you subscribe. And throughout the Cardinals season, of course, if you enjoyed the the coverage that we've we've provided so far at spring. I'll still be here like another week and a half, so it's not going away just yet. But uh, if you enjoy that, just know that we do this stuff during the regular season too and and stay on board. Hop on board and stay on board if you like Cardinals stuff because uh, we're trying to do something unique here on YouTube that uh, it's not to say other people aren't doing, but but I feel like we're, we're doing our best to uh, to provide good stuff here for Cardinals fans. And certainly here at spring training, you've gotten some boots on the ground type stuff that you you probably won't find too many other places. So... Excited about what we're able to do so far. Uh, KMOV articles have been getting churned out for sure. If you want to easily find a way to watch the Yvonne Herrera homer against Sonny Gray because they had a great camera angle on it, um, you can, of course, turn to the YouTube video that I just alluded to a little bit ago, or you can go to KMOV.com slash sports and find the article because my tweet is listed in there. Make sure to read that stuff at KMOV. That really helps me out to, uh, to, to be able to tell KMOV, hey, it's worth it to send me here because... We're putting out good articles. So that's another aspect of it. But I want to talk a little bit here in what's going to be a shorter episode of Be Shaved Daily about Ivan Herrera and the impact that he could have on the Cardinals this season because he has an interesting story the last couple of years. You know, if you recall coming into 2022, he was really a guy that was considered among the prospects, right? Like top prospects in the organization. The the chatter was the heir apparent, Yadier Molina. Like, that was the hope, I think, within the Cardinal organization. And then if you remember 2022 happening, he got kind of a cup of coffee, and it didn't go well. He had like a 111 average, 
And it was, I believe, in July when the Cardinals were like, okay, we're going to pump the brakes on this and send him back to AAA. And they called up Austin Romine to take the the role of Herrera on the roster. And you're like, Austin Romine is not, you know what the upside of him is, and it's basically nothing, which is not, you know, so, sorry if you're listening, Austin. But like at the time, it felt like that's a veteran that, the Cardinals are basically saying with this roster spot, we just want, we're just looking for certainty. We know what we're going to get. He's He's been around the block before, and that's all we're looking for. We don't need to, to complicate this and try and shoot for upside. We just don't want, you know, the, the bottom to drop out. We need to, if we put a catcher in the game, that's a backup catcher. We need to know that this guy can handle it. And I think they had the impression from the, the brief spell that Herrera had in 2022 with the team that maybe he couldn't handle it yet. And it kind of felt like his star, his, his shine as a prospect started to wane a little bit at that point and realized too, like that would have been a point in time where the Cardinals would have loved nothing more than to see Herrera come up and sort of demand the ball, right? Like demand opportunity because Yachty was retiring at the end of that season. And they knew that. So with Herrera, not kind of taking that step forward in 2022, and my apologies, I don't remember these specific circumstances. If it was like Yachty was injured, so it was Kiz playing, but they also had another guy that was going to play, or if it was carrying a third catcher, I, I'm not going to go back and look. But we're just kind of giving you a brief recap over where they were. Long story short is that they would have certainly liked to have seen Herrera step up and take the bull by the horns of that opportunity so that they could look at it and go, okay, we see enough in this guy that we know Yachty is leaving, but Kiz is a good, solid backup. And we can have Herrera sort of split time with Kisner in the first year as he makes his way toward becoming the full-time guy. That didn't happen. Kiz had kind of a down year offensively in 2022. And the Cardinals were like, oh boy, suddenly it is the case that catcher is our biggest need. We're going to go spend $87.5 million to fix it. And Wilson Contreras happened. Now, that's not to say that Wilson Contreras is a bad signing if Herrera pans out. Like, I think Wilson could be a really valuable bat in this lineup. Do I have questions about his ability to be the, the catcher on a, on a full-time or even half-time basis toward the end of his contract? Yeah, I mean, I think that's natural. As a guy gets into deeper into his 30s, that's going to be a question for a guy who wasn't automatically known as a premier defender behind the plate anyway. I think those are the questions we had about Contreras before he even played a game for the Cardinals. And then, of course, last year, there was a lot of weirdness about that that we won't rehash here. But it's just interesting that, like, if Herrera takes that step in 2022, Wilson in that contract probably never happens, and they just slowly guide Herrera toward being the the lead man in a tandem with probably Andrew Kisner, maybe somebody else, who knows. But that didn't happen, and so his his prospect status was kind of was kind of gone. Like his numbers offensively in Memphis in 2022 were very so-so. I think like a 770 OPS, which is fine, but not screaming like, hey, this guy's going to come to the big leagues and, you know, still be really a quality hitter. So the Cardinals were kind of dealing with these things internally where they had to basically make that bet at the time. Like, are we going to bet on Ivan Herrera or are we going to go out and get somebody? They went out and got somebody. And Herrera sort of took the opportunity and said, look, this didn't go the way I wanted it to in 2022. But he, he came back in 2023 and was a different guy. He talked at winter warm-up about a little bit about that process, but he looked different offensively and 
when he got to the big leagues, it looked different as well. Like he carried himself in a way that said, I can handle this role. I can handle the the jump from AAA to MLB. And he looked the part a little bit more than he did the first time when it maybe was a little bit um, over his skis to be in, in Major League Baseball as a catcher. Because there's a lot of preparation that goes into being a big league catcher that maybe you can take for granted a little bit and just ride on talents if you're in the minors. And then when you get to the big leagues and you see it for the first time, you go, oh, that's what that looks like. And that might be kind of like a culture shock adjustment period that has to take place. And I feel like with what we saw from Ivan Herrera last year, he kind of had made that leap and said, hey, here I am. I'm comfortable. I can do this. And his offensive numbers were like a 761 OPS in St. Louis, 44 plate appearances. So still a small sample size, but looked different at the plate and looked different behind it. And I think he just... It, it felt like he belonged in a way that maybe you wouldn't have said previously. Then the offseason happens where the Cardinals non-tender Andrew Kisner, and that basically sends the signal to Ivan Herrera that, hey, we are going to move forward with you as the backup. That's the plan going into spring training. And he talked and went a warm-up about how that gave him confidence. He said, I, I don't want to say I'm, I was happy. I can't say I was happy to see Kiz go. But I, I kind of was because that meant an opportunity for me to show what I'm all about. And that meant a lot to Ivan Herrera. And and by the way, I'm trying to properly say his name. I can't roll my R's very well, but like that, I believe that is how you would pronounce his name. And I, I want to do the best that I can to do that. Um, so cut me a little slack on that. But I do think he came into last year in 2023 with more of a purpose. He changed some things about his swing and started to take off again and you remember, yeah, this guy was a big-time prospect, and now he's got a 950 OPS in Memphis. He comes up and, and maintains a, a solid mark at the big league level, and then the Cardinals, that's enough for them to say, all right, we like Andrew Kisner. He had a career-high in home runs last year. He was important to the pitching staff, but we're going to make this move. Yeah, you save a little money, but I think the more we see of Ivan Herrera is the more that we realize that he was the reason, more so than saving a few bucks here and there on Kisner, that they that they cut ties and make that move. Plus the factor of like with all the Contreras stuff, I do think Kisner sort of became the safety blanket for the rotation last year, which is not his fault. I think it's a credit to the the good job that he did, but I think also uh, the clean cut can sort of set the precedent that like, look, we're not doing this to Wilson Contreras. He's our catcher and we're going to have this other guy as well, but we're not doing this game of you get to pick and choose who you throw to. Like that's not going to be a thing. We need to have that flexibility where pitchers can have the comfortable relationship with both catchers and it's not going to matter we're not going to miss a we're not going to miss a step we're not going to miss a beat when our backup catcher comes in versus our starter and vice versa like that needs to be a precedent that I think they wanted to set from day 1 so I'm I personally think that was maybe a little bit of it as well I don't know if even if you asked that question if you could get that that record uh, answer on record I should say but uh, that's kind of something that I that I would wonder about too but Herrera man I think he's in a spot where the Cardinals expect him to contribute. They expect him to play a decent amount. That, that was the word at winter warm-up. The, the vibe I get is like this isn't a Yadier Molina backup catcher situation where the guy just rides the pine and gets to, you know, play if Yadier's injured, basically, or or every, you know, every other week is going to have a start. I think you're going to see a decent amount of Ivan Herrera in games. I think he's going to start behind the plate. I think that will allow Wilson Contreras to DH now and again, get him off his feet. And there might be times where, where Wilson's not in the lineup at all. But the more they can DH him, the value of his bat, I think, is such that they want to keep it in there. Yes, that will lead to some decisions on, like, how do you handle Gorman and Brendan Donovan both being in the lineup? 
uh, does that mean there will be some times where, like, I again, up the middle, everything impacts everything else, from catcher to shortstop to center field. The way I view it is that the, there are parts that move, and you can throw second base into this as well because Gorman is probably more DH on a regular basis, but when he's not, he's playing second or, or filling in for Arenado at third. Donovan, same thing, is probably going to play primarily second. He'll play some third if Arenado needs a day. Donovan can also go into left field, but if Donovan plays left, it means Newt Bars in center. And how do you feel about that outfield alignment? Again, offensively, I think it could work out really well. And I know we're talking about the catcher, but the reason it bleeds into all this other stuff is because if Wilson's the DH, Gorman can't be. Gorman, if he's going to play, will have to play second. Where does Donovan go? Left field. It's like the Abbott and Costello routine, except for it's actually talking about the Cardinals lineup this year. And if they move Donovan to left field, Newbar in center, I think offensively that might be your best lineup. And Tommy Edmond is the guy that's boxed out there. And it's not to say that Tommy Edmond's not a quality contributor offensively, but I think if you look at OPS plus, he's around league average for his career, around 100, 9900. We don't know what Mason Wynn's going to be just yet. If he can be 9900 this year, I think the Cardinals take that because he's going to be a plus uh, defender at shortstop. But could there be a world in which they 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 make that the alignment, and then it, it doesn't really matter if it's Edmund or Wynn at shortstop on that given day? the The key to all of this is: will they be willing to move Newt Bar to center, or will they lean in more on Edmund's going to play a lot of center? Dylan Carlson, we trusted him to play center. The problem with a platoon of Edmund and Carlson in center is that they do the same things. They are switch hitters who are effective against the same type of pitching, lefties, and and a little lesser against right-handed pitching. So it's not a perfect platoon fit. Ideally, one of them, you know, you or you'd have a player in one of those spots who is better against right-handed pitching than left-handed pitching, and then they do form the perfect platoon where you can sort of max your, your production that way. But that's not the way that it is, so I am curious – for for a modern game that really likes to take advantage of every little edge you can find, there's really no edge to glean from Edmund versus Carlson in center field from a from a platoon perspective. And so I'm really curious to see, does that play out in a way that they just view Carlson as a lesser version of Edmund because they think he's not going to be quite as effective offensively, which is not to say that's the way I think. I think Carlson probably has more power potential than Edmund does. Edmund's going to steal more bases, but they both are good defensive center fielders. Carlson, better arm. Tommy might even have better range, uh, although I like Dylan's range and his instincts as well. Uh, I think confidence is going to be huge for Dylan Carlson, and he's going to have to pull that from basically a place that just doesn't exist because the Cardinals are not instilling confidence in Dylan Carlson. They're coming in saying, hey, you're kind of the fourth guy, and good luck with that. You know, And that's fine because I think if we're honest about the way the roster is constructed, that's probably where he sits right now. But I also think Dylan Carlson's capable of more, but he's going to have to kind of go dig internal and say, I got to make this opportunity for myself and and bring the Cardinals kicking and screaming into considering me a little more on, on a daily basis. And, and that's going to come from having to, as Ali Marmel said, impact the baseball. But I think it all trickles down from, you know, how much does Herrera actually get a chance to catch? Because if it's a decent amount, you're going to be dealing with these questions on the the rest of your roster, which isn't a bad thing. I just we talk Cardinals baseball on this channel, and so that's what I wanted to kind of get into. Um, my point with this is like Herrera's going to play a lot. I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to have uh, an impact offensively. And like if he's a guy batting toward the bottom of the lineup, I, I still think you're going to get some thump from down there. 
the swing changes he made a year year or so ago, I think are positive ones, and he's in a spot where he could be really, really good for this team. Now, does that mean that one one batting practice or live batting practice home run is is guaranteeing that? No. I would have wanted to talk about Yvonne Herrera anyway on this podcast, even before the homer, because I've been seeing good things from him in the way that he's carried himself. I think I used the phrase already, but he looks like he knows he belongs. He looks like, yes, this is my role, and I, I'm just like any of these other guys on the team. And it's interesting because he's only like 23 years old. It's not that he is graduated out of prospect age. He just kind of had a really rough 2022 as a young player, right? Like we should cut him some slack in the way we consider that. But the Cardinals, you could understand their position as well. They had to make a bold decision because they're like the, the, the fate of the catcher position in the organization is kind of in the balance. And we're used to having a, a big time name at catcher. And they got a big-time name in Wilson Contreras. Now, he brings different things to the table than Yadi did, but they still felt like a presence there was necessary. I think we're starting to see maybe the beginnings of Ivan Herrera turn into a guy that has presence as well. And if that means he catches 55 games this year and, and Wilson catches 105, maybe the, I mean, maybe the split is even closer than that. We'll have to wait and see. And obviously, health is going to determine that because guys on the IL won't be able to play. And if someone's on the IL, the other guy's probably taking a lot of that time. But I think you could see a split more like 60 slash 100. And if that's the case and it goes well for Yvonne Herrera, maybe there's a spot where year two down the road, it becomes more of a, an even timeshare. And there's also this looming question of Paul Goldschmidt. And like if the Cardinals have the type of season they're hoping to have and they make the playoffs and everything goes well, it's trending in the right direction. Goldie has a good year. Goldie should be a Cardinal for the rest of his career. Like, I think that is the type of legacy player that he should be, even though he didn't start with the Cardinals. he It feels like a guy that should end as a Cardinal. But if he doesn't have that year, if he falls off a bit, I could see a world in which, and, and also this might coincide with the Cardinals kind of doomsday scenario where they don't succeed as a team. And you look at Nolan Arenado and go, all right, I'd like to win a World Series before I'm gone or before I uh, before I retire and I'm in my early to mid thirties now. Get me to get me to the Dodgers and, and and work that out with them. It's not to say that he wants that, but I do think he wants to win. And if this is a second year in a row that's a losing year, and the Cardinals don't re-sign Goldie, if I'm Arenado, I'm looking around going, okay, this team is on a little bit of a different trajectory than I am in my career, in terms of they don't desperately need to win a World Series in 2025 or 2026. It's not that it's going to be a rebuild, but it's going to be a retool in that in that world. And I'm talking about these things happening if the Cardinals, again, they win like 75 games and they just aren't in the mix. That's where they might have to face some hard decisions. And if that happens, I could see Goldie and Arenado being sort of ushered out in their various ways. Arenado perhaps traded at the deadline or, or even more likely in the offseason. Again, if it's a bad year, don't go say, oh, Brendan Schaefer said they're trading Arenado. No, that's not what I'm saying. But we're dealing with all the various hypotheticals that could come into play. And if they have a bad year, that wouldn't surprise me. And, and letting Goldie walk would then allow you to go, all right, Gorman maybe is a more natural third baseman. Let's get him back to having that be his spot. Um, I think the ship has sailed on Jordan Walker going back there just because he might have moved off a third eventually anyway. And now he's an outfielder, and they're really trying to make that work roster-wise. So Gorman to third or, or Donovan, you know, in Gorman split third and second, however they would do it. And now you're looking at a first base opening where, yeah, maybe Luke and Baker can take a step forward. Like he's he's a guy that 
it wouldn't shock me if he kind of turned into Luke Voigt for a couple of years, who Luke Voigt was really good for a little while. Like, could he have that sort of late career surge if he gets a chance? Maybe. I'm not predicting it, but I could see it. But then maybe Wilson Contreras shifts to where he's going part-time first base. Herrera's catching more. Her, Wilson's DHing a little bit more. And the split by 2026 toward the tail end at that point of Wilson's contract is like Wilson catching, you know, 50, 60 games, Herrera catching the hundred and, and Wilson also DHing and, and playing some first base. Like I could see those sort of things take place. All that sort of rides on though. How much, how far can Yvonne Herrera go this year? I think is going to be the question. And the Cardinals seem to think he can do some things. And I kind of, based on what I'm seeing the first week, I kind of agree with that. Obviously keep it all in context because we haven't seen any actual game action yet, but I've been impressed with what I've seen. Let me know what you think about Ivan Herrera and the way that he is performing at Cardinals camp and what you want to see from him in games when we get to that segment of spring beginning on Saturday. That's going to do it for this briefer edition of the show. I appreciate you guys, as always, for watching and listening. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to check out my articles. Easiest way to find them, kmov.com slash sports. Read them all so that KMOV can say, hey, this guy's doing a good job. Appreciate you guys, as always. We'll talk to you next time. On Be Shafe Daily. Peace.